Section 10 of the New York Gardener. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pete Darg, Norfolk County, Ontario, Canada. The New York Gardener by P. Agricola. Section 10 june my dear son in the philosophic schools of antiquity some of the great masters assembled their pupils in a garden and there unfolded to them the arcana of nature and where could they have selected a spot better calculated for the purpose of impressing upon the youthful mind the lessons of wisdom while their bodies were invigorated by exercise and their senses regaled with beauty and with fragrance it is not only the laws of vegetable life which are here successfully taught but entomology or the science of insects is a study nowhere pursued with more advantage than in the umbrageous walks of a garden many tribes of these creatures here have their birthplace and their food their wants and appetites are like our own they grow and delight to feed upon those very plants we cultivate for our own food and unless we can destroy them or divert their attention the whole crop is often devoured it is therefore the peculiar interest of the farmer to study attentively the nature of these animals he should learn if possible the time and place of their hatching know at what season they are most voracious and when they usually retire or change their state i shall not detain you with a technical classification of these insects for i know of no practical benefit you could derive from it nor shall i turn over the pages of Lanius to discover by what appellation he has distinguished european insects that bear some resemblance to ours their common name with such description as may enable you to know them at sight is all that a regular gardener requires insects are usually divided by naturalists into two kinds those which are immediately or remotely beneficial or injurious to mankind but i can see no justice or propriety in this distinction like all other classes of animals there may be some among them that are occasionally hurtful to some of us but i cannot think of a single tribe which do not directly or indirectly contribute to the wants or luxuries of man it is true the depredation of insects upon vegetable bodies are often detrimental but it should be remembered that in these ravages they usually repay the injuries they commit the locusts the most destructive of all insects are not unproductive of advantage although like the ox they deprive man of a certain portion of his vegetable food yet in return their bodies afford nutriment of a salutary and palatable kind travellers affirm that the various species of locusts are the common food on which the inhabitants of many parts of the world subsist at particular seasons and that in all the towns upon the levant they are salted and constantly exposed to sale as provisions like scotch herring in our groceries the grasshoppers by far the most voracious of all the insects of this country are seldom so numerous as to injure our crops 
In many years we should rejoice if they were more plenty, for although we do not feed directly upon them, as the inhabitants of the east do upon the locusts, yet our poultry do. The grasshopper and other insects appear to be their natural and favorite food. They hunt them without intermission, seize them with avidity, and riot and fatten upon their flesh, and in this indirect way are brought upon our tables, and furnish a luxurious feast. The Hessian fly, which thirty years ago despoiled our wheat fields and threatened to be the quote, minister of famine, end quote, has, in the event, added much to the produce and riches of the state. By them we were taught the great advantage of changing seed and the benefits of an improved method of tillage. And in addition to this, during the scarcity or temporary absence of the wheaten loaf, we have discovered in the buckwheat cake more than a substitute, for it still continues to keep its place upon our tables for several months in the year, although the cause that introduced it has long since disappeared. And those parasitical insects that fret and goad the human skin are evidently intended by the wise author of our nature to teach the salutary virtues of care and cleanliness, or punish us for the neglect. And if we divest ourselves of prejudice and go into the garden, we shall find very few of the insects which inhabit there, which were not designed by him who, quote, planted, end quote, the first garden for beneficial purposes. The common earthworm stirs up and loosens the soil, and thus enables the feeble roots of young plants to pass freely in their quest of food. The various species of grubs teach us the advantage of ridging and exposing our lands to the winter's frost, while a thousand other insects are constantly employed in the business of fruitification. Some carefully watch the opening of the flower buds that they may convey the fertilizing pollen of one to the other some move incessantly their silken fingers across the swelling stigma excite their loves and quote, replenish the earth end quote, while others collect the wax and superfluous nectar and store them for our use great numerous as the benefits are which we derive from this class of animals it will not be contended but that their number will sometimes exceeds their usual bounds whereas we feel more or less inconvenience but it more frequently happens that the evils we experience from insects originate from our own folly or negligence, evils which skill and vigilance would most certainly prevent. For instance, the various grubs and wireworms are the offspring of grasshoppers and other winged parents. These deposit their larvae in grass ground, where the young ones feed upon the roots as the old ones had done upon the blades. Whenever, therefore, you break up swardland for a spring crop, remember these subterraneous feeders. As you have destroyed their natural stores, they must now feed upon your plants or perish. Fall ploughing will do much towards lessening their numbers, but in some instances enough will escape to injure materially. The sprouts of Indian corn and many other plants in your garden, but one never knew them hurt potatoes, beets, or carrots or do much damage to a crop of oats. Whenever you have reason to fear these insects in your flax ground or garden, sow the land with fine salt broadcast at the rate of two bushels to the acre. This will effectually destroy them, and as manure will more than repay the cost. 
The melon bug is another insect which I would wish you to be particularly acquainted, for the intelligent gardener never suffers the least inconvenience from them. This bug is about the size and shape of a grain of wheat. From the neck backward, it is neatly covered with an oval shining case or shell. This is divided longitudinally into two parts and the same way, alternately striped with black and yellow, and are fastened with a hinge near the lower part of the neck just so as to shade the thorax. When the insect attempts to fly, this shell divides and stands erect at right angles with the body. Immediately under there is a pair of large dark gauze wings which are expanded with reluctance and never used but in case of absolute necessity. These wings are three times as large as the external tunic. Yet when the animal alights, they are instantly folded and nicely secured from injury and from sight. The head of this insect is short and black. The antennae, which originate between the eyes, are of the same color, long and curved at the extremities. The neck is yellow. It has three pair of legs, or rather two pair of legs and one of arms. The thighs, or upper extremities, with the legs, are of a light yellow, while the knees and feet are of a shining black, like the thorax and abdomen. The back, or upper part of the body, is transversely striped with black and yellow. The gourd family, with all its varieties, is the peculiar food of these animals. Melons, pumpkins, cucumbers, etc., all alike suffer from their attack. They seldom make their appearance until the middle of May, when they ate extremely voracious. Their hunger sometimes continues until the solstice, when their appetites in number decline. From this time all their injury ceases, and they even seem desirous of repaying any damage they may have occasioned by assiduously passing from one flower to another, conveying at every visit the prolific pollen. All this class of plants, bracket, curcurbita, close bracket, produce the male and female flowers distinct and on different parts of the vine, and as they secrete no honey, bees and other insects might neglect to perform this necessary work, for honey is evidently a vegetable secretion of little or no use to the plant from whence it is formed, but being emitted by flowers at this time serves to allure and to reward insects for this important service. The gaudy painting and odoriferous fragrance of flowers are also the means of promoting and securing the completion of the same indispensable object. The sagacity of the melon bug in providing foy its own personal safety is exceeded by no other animal. While feeding upon our young and favorite plants, they even seem to foresee and expect danger, for in the morning, when the watchful gardener is seen coming to punish their depredations, they instantly quit their repast, and with all possible haste bury themselves in the earth, or hide beneath some clod or stone. If they have not time for this, they throw themselves upon their backs, and in this way conceal their shining envelope, and endeavor to deceive or evade our sight, by appearing like the ground upon which they lie. Here they continue without motion, and apparently lifeless until all danger is past, but if they are disturbed after the sun has dried up the dew, and gave pliancy to their limbs, 
it is only the most feeble that have recourse to this stratagem the strongest among them unfold their armor expand their wings and in a moment are out of sight they always deposit their larvae in the vicinity of their favorite plants of course their numbers multiply annually while you continue to plant their vines upon the same ground their destructive teeth are confined to the seed leaf only as soon as the center or rough leaf expands their injury ceases and they seek to supply their wants with younger plants from this account of the insect i think you will easily suggest effectual means to prevent all the mischief in the power to do the numerous recipes which are every day published for this object only serve to mislead and deceive one extols the virtues of elder leaves another affirms the snuff or sulphur will affright them all from the garden while a third advises to catch them with a woolen net but this is all mere quackery and must end in disappointment if you have it in your power to select for these plants a new spot of ground every year that alone will save them from the ravages of this insect and they will come only as friends at the time of flowering or if you plant after the twentieth of this month the feeding season of the insect will be passed before your plants are up and they will not interrupt you anywhere but if you're desirous of having fruit from these plants as early as the weather will permit and yet cannot conveniently change the situation you may certainly avoid all injury from these insects by sowing the adjoining ground with seed in abundance this profuse seeding should be done at the time of planting and at later periods that the insect may always find young and juicy leaves whereon to feed it matters but little what kind of seed you make use of for this purpose they are indifferently fond of the whole gourd family or if they have any preference it is for the acorn squash which has a very large and succulent seed leaf if you plant liberally all of these seeds near your cucumbers and melons the insects will accept the bribe and spare the choicer plants but if these precautions are neglected and your plants are attacked by the insects as soon as they appear above the ground take dry ashes and bury them half an inch deep this will not impede their growth but will effectually protect them for several days of all the insect tribes that infest or frequent our fields or gardens the turnip fly is the most mischievous this is a small animal of a dark color and much resembles the common flea and like them hops or jumps whenever it moves this insect delights to feed upon all the varieties of the cabbage family it is best pleased with this plant when its cotyledon leaf but in the abundance of other food will devour the plants at any age it appears very early in the spring which has led some persons to suppose that it is the same insect which we often see hopping upon the snow in the coldest part of the winter they usually continue to feed with avidity until august and during all this time their gluttony is without bounds for they require daily of green vegetables a quantity much greater than that of their whole body but notwithstanding their insatiable appetites there are not many years when their numbers are so great as to be maternally injurious to the vigilant and skilful gardener 
and it is equally true there are not many years when they are not injurious to the garden where these virtues are wanting the young farmer who has not been suitably instructed early in the spring finds all his cabbage plants destroyed with much inconvenience he then procures some for his more skilful neighbors and sets them out elate with hope but the fell destroyer is always near the hungry insect marks them for his own and while the plants are suffering under the injury of removal the leaves are bored through with a thousand holes and straightway all their health and beauty fades it is in vain he sprinkles them with lime or ashes or drives them off with elder leaves they prey upon the underside of the leaf where the ashes do not come and although frequently disturbed and affrightened with the elder bush they as often return until the plants exhausted with their wounds shrivel and perish altogether these are incidents which the experienced gardener expects he is prepared for them and meets them with success first his cabbage seed is sown upon new ground just burnt over or in some vessel raised from the earth above the flight of these insects in either of these ways he is sure to have plants in abundance in the next place he takes care that his cabbage plantation is rich that the soil is intimately mixed with the manure and at the time of setting the plants he sows the whole broadcast and thick with cabbage turnip radish or any other seed of that family when they come up and show their seed leaf they are more sweet tender and palatable to these feeders and the larger plants obtain by that means a respite besides all this you ought to set in every hill one or two extra plants and if they are not destroyed after three or four weeks and before they crowd each other take out those that appear the least promising sometimes the roots of cabbage swell into numerous knotty tubercles which impoverish the tops of the plants and prevent their heading this is caused by worms hatched in those places and there is no mode of destroying them without destroying the plants which you had better do for they can never be good for anything but all this misfortune can never be cured it may very certainly be prevented by changing annually your cabbage plantation for these stubborn foes never appear where some of the cabbage family have not grown the preceding year sometimes a myriad of green parasites or lice spread over many of your plants while the heads are forming this is occasioned by their slow growth and is to be prevented by everything that accelerates or hastens their progress if notwithstanding some of your plants should be overrun with these vermin pull them up it is better to lose them entirely than to run the risk of their spreading over your whole plantation the grub and cutworm are also very destructive enemies to the cabbage plant when first removed from the seed bed they commit all their depredations in the night when they creep out of their subterraneous lodgings and having found your plants cut them off as with a scythe in the morning they may be found near where the plant stood just buried beneath the surface of the ground they should be easily pursued and every one put to death and as their numbers is never great this infrequent hoeing will soon put an end to their ravages 
The pea bug is another troublesome insect with which you ought to be intimately acquainted. It is the progeny of a small fly, metamorphosed from the bug, planted in the pea. These flies are astonishingly prolific, and carefully deposit their eggs in the young globules by perforations through the green and tender pods. The wounds occasioned by these punctures are visible after the pods have attained their full size. Before the pea ripens, the insect hatches and acquires its chrysal state. It is then converted into a dirt-colored active bug, and in that, and in its previous state, feeds upon the coitalidin, or substance of the grain. Here they are entombed, unable to remove the hard external covering of the pea until planted or otherwise warmed and moistened. They then burst their natal prison and become an aerial inhabitant. Here they find their mates, and by the time the pods and young peas are formed, they have become pregnant and are now waiting for their only place of deposit, for it is not known that their larvae will hatch or that they can propagate in any other place, for they are never seen in any district country newly cleared or in any other where the pea is not cultivated. Although a very large portion of the pea is destroyed and occupied by these bugs, yet many of them will germinate and produce healthy stalks. But you should be extremely cautious never to plant or sow any that contain this internal enemy, and indeed if your unwise neighbors do so, you will be sure to share with them the misfortune. The true method to avoid their depredations is to plant none but the best of seed, and let that be done as early as the season will permit. Peas always succeed best when sown early, but if you plant good seed as late as June, before the pods are grown, the parent fly will be extinct, and the small crop you may raise will not contain the insect. It is natural for these insects, like many others, to remain dormant through the winter. At the returning warmth of spring, they wake and must be liberated, or they perish. This fact may suggest to you an effectual method of destroying the whole race. Let us agree never to use peas for seed until they are at least two years old, and this bug must disappear, for in truth we plant and raise them from the seed, and then complain of the crop. So Cadmus sowed his field with serpents' teeth, and raised from thence a host of armed foes. There is another insect resembling the pea-bug in several particulars, to which I would wish to draw your attention. It is not many years since the plum-trees in this country were healthy and flourishing, and the fruit universally rich and delicate. The best of peaches we never could raise, but the variety and excellence of our plums were unrivaled, and we fondly imagined that our climate and soil were peculiarly suited to this species of fruit. But of late our plum-trees have declined. The canker, as it's called, has overspread and nearly destroyed the whole. This misfortune gradually approached us from the south, where we heard of its destructive effects long before we saw it in our own trees. At the period above referred to, this country produced the pea in the greatest abundance and of a superior quality, and it had been remarked that the bug so fatal to them migrated to us from the same quarter and about the same time with the disorder in our plum-trees, 
and if the knotty excrescence of the latter are examined while in their green and recent state they will each of them be found to enclose an embryo chrysalis in every respect similar to that which the impregnated pea contains this insect wounds and feeds upon the alburnum of the tree and by a spontaneous effect of nature an extra quantity of woody matter is then thrown out to heal the injury so when animal bodies are wounded new vessels are directly formed and fungus flesh springs up to heal and restore the continuity of the parts as the insect grows the nibbling and irritation increases until at length all the energies of the tree are here expended and when the feeding state of the amicula is past it makes a hole through this spongy matter takes itself to wings and escapes the irritation then ceases and the cankerous secretius dies and hardens with the sun but so numerous are these attacks that the vitality of the tree is enfeebled and all its energies wasted many of the branches are quite surrounded with these dry excrescences and all communication from the trunk to the extremities entirely cut off meanwhile the insect having arrived to its ultimate state prepares for the continuation of its species and again deposits its eggs through the tender bark of the remaining live shoots where they rest until the warmth of the next spring calls them into life these places then begin to swell and new warts are produced so that in this way two or three years only are sufficient to destroy every tree in the neighborhood all the varieties of plum are more or less affected by them and the black cherries are equally liable to their attack but the red cherry although standing near the other escapes unhurt so beans of all kinds and some of the large varieties of the pea are exempt from the bug it may be difficult to assign a satisfactory reason for this discrimination our progress into the science of insects is yet too limited but being appraised of the fact we should regulate our concerns accordingly the cause may lie in the special appetency or organization of the parent or perhaps other trees will not give life to their eggs although deposited in them we know every vegetable has its local and appropriate insect to which it gives food or nidus, and that those diminutive beings guided by the unerring laws of instinct perform operations truly surprising end of section ten recorded by pete darg norfolk county ontario canada